the invite to be here to the Anchorage Church of Christ. We um, haven't been here in quite some time, and so it's been really great to get to see a lot of folks that we've known from the past, but also to to be introduced to some new new faces and actually some faces that I thought were new, but actually were little girls that we pushed on swings whenever I was a kid or whenever I, we first got here. So, oh, time goes on. The Juno Church Christ sends its regards, and we love you, Christians across Alaska. And uh, also, I, um, I talk with the the preacher over in, in Seward, not Seward, is that right, Seward? Not Seward. Sitka, that's the word I was looking for, thank you. Joel Warner, and he said to send uh, his love, and the, the church there in Sitka up here as well, and he wanted me to ask that if anyone, <clears throat> if anyone desires to help a congregation... And to go on like a mission trip for, for helping a small congregation, you are always welcome to come down to Sitka and to help out there. Um, they, they could really use any help the Brotherhood would want to send their direction. And, and they thank you for that. Tonight, I've been tasked with looking at the parable of the dragnet. But before we get to the, the parable itself, I want to look at the structure of the book of Matthew. Matthew is, uh, it begins with an introduction in Matthew 2 or 1 through 4, and it talks about uh, a coming king that is announced in chapter 2. Uh, in chapter 3, also yet again, that the king is coming. John the Baptist pronounces that there is this king that's on his way. In chapter 4, it says that Jesus, after he was baptized, he goes out preaching the good news of the kingdom. And so, and so this book sets up a discussion about the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, and that it's coming, and that there's good news regarding this kingdom. Then, from that point, from this introduction, there are five books of Matthew. And the reason, and the way that you can tell when a book ends is the words, as Jesus finished something. Uh, and from chapter 4 through chapter 7, that book is talking about an announcement of the kingdom. And we look at that as being the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus preaches the good news of the kingdom, and then he starts telling about the character of kingdom people. How it starts with the poor of spirit. And works works its way through as these people get stronger in their, their poor in spirit to start with, and then they mourn, and then they hunger and thirst for righteousness, and ultimately as they are peacemakers... They get a target on their back. And, and the world does not want to hear the message that these people have. But yet this message is a message of salt and light to preserve and illuminate the world. And he goes through and, and states other ways that, that this kingdom people are to be. Forgiving and blessing and serving in prayerful uh, t- 
time with God, giving towards people who need. And those such things, you can look at them yourself. Then from chapter 8 through chapter 10, it speaks of the kingdom invading people's lives. And how it's set up is each, there are nine people that Jesus interacts with and heals them. And there are three sets of three. There's three people, and then there's three people, and then there's three people. And those groups are separated by follow me. So Jesus heals three people, then he turns and says, follow me. He heals three more people, and he says, follow me. And then he heals three more people. So in this kingdom, there is great power, but there's also a call to follow Jesus. Then in 11 through 13, we see responses to this kingdom. Good, neutral, and bad. You could classify them as Jesus is king, is Jesus king, and he is not king. And so those are the responses that we see, and it's within that, that pinnacle of the book of Matthew that we see the parable that we're going to deal with today. However, in 14 through 20, you see the different expectations of who the king is. That, that the people's ideas of what the king should be and what the kingdom should be. And how it's different than the reality that Jesus presents to us. And then in, in chapters 21 through 25, we see the clashes of the kingdoms. The clash of these expectations and ideas that are coming together. And the tension is building, which leads to the Passover, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus. At which, at the end of chapter 28, Jesus tells his disciples, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he commissions them to go out and make disciples, baptizing and teaching them to obey all the things that he commands. He is commanding as king who has authority, right? So after the Passover, crucifixion, and resurrection, we see this announcement of Jesus as the king that has now established his kingdom here. In chapter 13, it's all of these parables. It's a series of parables. And the parables that Jesus gives that are recorded in Matthew, they're at the height of his gospel, and they make a point regarding decisions. What are you going to choose? As we read through the parables, and they really are literally to be taken, and when I say literally, I mean like as far as literature is concerned, to, to take them out and pick them apart, it's good to do that, but you have to take them in context of all the other parables because it's building they're all together in the book of Matthew, and he was very purposeful about what he chose and where he chose to put them. And they are all building in chapter 13. And so those parables that he puts in there, they all reflect something of the nature of the kingdom. 
that this kingdom that is to come, that is going to be headed by Jesus as the king, it has a nature to it. And Jesus tells of that nature in these stories. And as you look at those, you see that it's different than what you think. This kingdom that Jesus is telling us about is not like what you think it is. It's something that's much different than what you're, what you're thinking it should be. And so, that is why you must change your mind. Remember what John the Baptist said? Robert, what did John the Baptist say? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is in hand, right? Repent, for the kingdom of... Right, I, I saw you, like, looking down, and I'm, I'm... So, y'all, none of you are safe. If I know your name, I've got your number. Taking notes. All right. John the Baptist says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Change your mind. Well, why are we to change our mind? Because the kingdom is different than what you think. Matthew gives these parables in pairs. The first two pairs is the sower and the tares. They both have to deal with this sowing of the seed into the land. The sowing of the seed into the hearts. The parable of the sower specifically talks about the different kinds of hearts that receive the seed. And then the tares tells us that as it hits the heart, there are some people that are going to be growing amongst the, the, the wheat that are actually going to be sown by the enemy. But then you have the mustard seed and the leaven, both of which are talking about the seed growing, the kingdom growing, and that it's doing good things. The mustard seed grows and provides safety for birds to build their nests in. And the leaven grows and permeates everything and changes the very nature of the dough into something different. Then you have the kingdom uh, parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl, both of which signify the value of the kingdom and that it is worth everything that you have. So, up to this point, what we see is that there is a message of the kingdom that is sown into our hearts, and this message, once it takes root, it grows and changes who we are. And this kingdom that we're believing in, that has been sown into our hearts, is more valuable, is more valuable than everything you possess. Okay? And that leads us to parable number seven. Parable number seven. And in, and in, and in uh, Jewish culture, seven is a very important number. It's a complete number. And so you have two, uh, two and two and two. That's six if my math is correct. And so then we get to seven, this complete one. Well, what is it building to? Here's the, here's the parable. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven. By the way, Jesus has said, the kingdom of heaven is like. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like. And so here we are at number seven. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet. Not like that show in the past. Dun, dun. Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. Before your time. Well, yeah, yeah. Before my time, too. But I'm still educated, you see. <laughs> I'm just playing. <laughs> Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they pulled it up on the beach and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers. But the bad, they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and remove the wicked from among the righteous and they will be thrown into the furnace of fire in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and pulls in all different kinds. All different kinds of fish. And when it finally gets to that shore, they are going to separate them, the good, the bad. And that's it. That's the parable. That's the, that, that, that's the, that's the height of all the parables. That's it. We're going to catch some fish and we're going to separate them out and that's, and that's it. So what does this mean? Like, what does this mean? To, to understand what's going on, I think we should see who the four characters are and what their job is in, in the parable. The first one is the fisherman. The one who is, who is the one who starts everything. And that's God. God is the fisherman. He's the one who does the casting, and he's the one who does the drawing. Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will do what? Draw all men to me, right? So that's, so who is it that's doing the drawing? God is. God, through Jesus, is doing the drawing. And so the net is the kingdom. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet. So this net is the kingdom. Now, there are three ideas of the kingdom. The first idea of kingdom is, okay, I didn't put them on here. You'll just have to remember these. Write them down in your notebook, Robert. Three uses of the kingdom. The first one is the area with which a king reigns. So, if you were the king of England, you would reign over England and its territories. So that would be the kingdom of the king. The second idea would be the people that live within that kingdom. And so the people are also the kingdom. So whenever we're talking about the kingdom of Israel, we're talking about the people who are of Israel, of that nation. 
And even if they were to go outside that nation into some other place, they're still that kingdom. You understand? But there's a third idea of kingdom which is a bit more... It's a bit more difficult to grasp. And what this idea of the kingdom is, is that when the king does something on behalf of the land or the people, whenever they are doing something, something is going forth from the throne into this place that is his kingdom, it is also the reign of the king. So the king doing something is also the kingdom. And in this instance, that net is the king doing something. The kingdom is this king drawing. It's the way by which he draws these fish to him. The fish are people that are drawn. And they're all kinds. All kinds are drawn. And within that all kinds that are drawn, there are good and bad. All that are drawn are not, are not the good. God, by the story of the gospel, is drawing all men. All men, good and bad. Now, what they choose to do with that information, that's on them. And it will determine where they are separated when they get to the beach. And the separators, it says, are the angels. And angels, they do that separating at the, at the end of the age, at the end of the time, when these people are divided, the good and bad. So one thing, and this, and this, is, this is almost kind of free for you. This one's is, this is free. Remember where you are in this story. Remember your place. Now there are judgments that we have to make in our life regarding folks. But understand this, I am not the caster nor the drawer, and I'm not the separator either. That's in God and God alone's hand. You understand? We are not in the position of of doing the final separating. That That's not my place. My place is that I have to be drawn. And by being drawn to God, I am to be conformed more like the king that is drawing me. That's what my place really is, is to be drawn to Jesus and to be drawn to God and to be more like what he wants me to be. And it's going to help me navigate these waters. So we are all drawn, but then we are separated by our choice. If there is good and bad that are all drawn, then there must be something that causes the division. And what causes that division is our choice. So let's look a little deeper into this idea of choice, okay? Shall we? 
Matthew is, is in the process of building a case for the kingdom. And he tells of Jesus speaking about the kingdom. To speaking about the reign that God is bringing into this world. And he says that this kingdom produces fruit. That those that are a part of this kingdom will produce fruit. And that kingdom will grow. And it will expand. And it will be a place of safety. And it will be a place of goodness. And it will change everything about wherever it is. And that the kingdom is this valuable thing. And that it's precious to us. And this kingdom draws all types to it. But you see, this idea of kingdom is not like the idea that a lot of people had. If we look through history and we see the Jews had lost their kingship. They had lost the spirit of God. Read through Ezekiel 1 through 10. And Ezekiel sees God in chapter 1 and it's described. And then in chapter 10, we see that Ezekiel sees God's spirit leaving the temple, leaving Jerusalem. God's spirit is gone. They have no king. They've been taken over by other nations. And they are ruled by another king from then until the day Jesus is here. And they are under Roman rule. So their idea of a kingdom is that we are going to rise up, throw off the shackles of Rome, and we are going to be a kingdom again like we were a long time ago. And we're going to have an army, and we're going to have land, and we're going to have this, and we're going to have that. And God is going to come back, and He's going to be in the temple in our midst, and we're going to be this blessed grand people again. And that's not what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to make them a nation like that. But yet Jesus describes an upside-down nation, an upside-down kingdom. Like everything about it's different. So much so that in Acts, whenever the apostles are, are teaching, it's said that they're turning the whole world upside down because things aren't right anymore. God is coming into this world with this kingdom. He's coming and He's going to be in our midst through this kingdom. And whenever it gets here, there's going to be forgiveness. And we are going to be a people of forgiveness. We are going to be a people of service. We are going to be a people of sacrifice. We are going to be a people of peace. And we are going to be reflecting the very image of God. That is who the kingdom is. We are forgiven. God has sacrificed for us. Jesus served us when we were unworthy. And He brought us God's peace. And we are called to be that kind of people. That is the kingdom come, folks. That's the kingdom come. And you have a choice whether to be a part of it or not. And a lot of people who heard this message didn't want to be a part of this kingdom. They didn't want to be a part of this kingdom. 
Jesus ends the parable. After, after he says that parable, he says, do you understand all these things? And last night, Robert brought to us that uh, a part of the parables was that they were to conceal from those who really weren't interested in, in knowing the truth of things. But he says to his disciples, have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes. And Jesus said to them, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out his old, his treasures, new things and old. Every scribe. Everyone who wants to be educated regarding the kingdom. Everybody who listens to what Jesus says regarding these kingdom, uh, regarding his kingdom and understands what he's talking about chooses to become a disciple of the kingdom. Every scribe who hears and chooses to become a disciple of the kingdom, what's he like? He's like a head of the household who brings out some ideas. Ideas that are treasures, new and old. The old promises of the kingdom, because God's faithful. God says there's going to be a king that's coming. He's going to sit on the throne of David. He's going to reign forever. God is faithful. That kingdom is coming. But then here's this new teaching about the kingdom. That it's not going to be a kingdom like we're familiar with. It's going to be a kingdom that's going to challenge us to be different than what we are. So new and old of great value. And we bring this new and this old out. And we look at it. But we don't just look at it. People aren't bringing out their treasures just to like sit in the, sit in the living room floor and, and, and count their little coins. What they do is they put them up so that other people can look at them. And whenever they invite people over, they come in and they see, oh wow, what's such a great thing you have here? Oh, well let me tell you about this thing. I got this whenever, well, you know. I don't, I don't, how many of you in here are married? Yeah? Okay. Do, do y'all, ever, do y'all have things that, that you got as gifts whenever you were married. And occasionally, you know, if someone might see something and your wife will go, oh yes, well we got that from so-and-so whenever we were married, you know, whenever we first got married. Or, or, you know, I remember... Okay, let me tell you something. Here's a little personal thing near my heart. There's a dear lady here. I don't know whether she's here, but she's here. And she, whenever we were having our daughter... Marie, she made us a blanket. And it's a really pretty blanket. It's it's a simple blanket, but it's a pretty blanket. And that was the Julie Kern blanket. And Julie Kern blanket swaddled up my daughter whenever she was small. Not really swaddled it, but but, but she was there with... and, And you know what? That same Julie Kern blanket, whenever we had a son... He got, he got sheltered with that little blanket as well. And then, you know what? Lo and behold, nine years later, we have another little, little bundle of joy. 
And she gets a piece of that Julie Kern blanket too. It's a tre- it's an old treasure. It's an old treasure of ours. We named this thing. And it means something to us. But yet, you know what? We have, we have another blanket that, that was, was given. The point is, we have old things that mean something to us that we're given and we reflect on and we tell people about or else I wouldn't have just told you about it, right? And then we have treasures, new treasures, new things that we get. And whenever people come over, it's like, oh, well, that's a cool looking thing. Well, hey, yeah, well, we just got, you know. And, and so you share these treasures with the people who come into your life. If you're the head of the household and you have this old promises of a kingdom and God that's going to reign there and the line is going to lay down with the lamb and there's going to be peace and, and swords and are, are going to be, are going to be hammered into plowshares instead of weapons of war. They're going to be, they're going to be instruments of growing and cultivating, right? And we hear these promises of God that are beautiful and wonderful and we wonder, where are they? Like, where is this place? Because I don't see it. What I see is bombs going off in places and people being shot and hurt and stealing and, and, and hatred and all this vitriol that we hear and that we see every day of our life. Where is this kingdom that's promised? Is God left us? But then we see Jesus. And we see our dear Lord and Savior Jesus who came. And he reaches out to those who are wounded. He touches those that are untouchable. He announces forgiveness of sins to those that are unworthy. And he says, I want you in my kingdom to be like me. And so then we look and we see the beauty of sacrifice. We see the beauty of forgiveness. We see the beauty of unity whenever we gather together. We see in the actions of our brothers and sisters when they do things that we ought to be doing. And we see that and we go, oh, that's God. That's God working in our life. That's God bringing us together. And I can't tell you how many stories that I've heard this weekend, well, over the last couple of days, of, of people who have been influenced by other people that have brought things together, that God is working in, in this group of people. Right In this group of people right here, there are so many ways that we touch each other and that we influence the lives of others outside of this building in our own lives. And we're influencing them and shining the light for Christ and we're sowing that salt into the world to preserve it and to give it flavor. And this is treasure. And we share this. We share God's promises of old. And we share Jesus' new reality that He's given to us. This is a different way of living, folks. This is a different way of living. And it's up to us to choose whether we want to or not.
But you know, it's really not a new way of living. (laughs) It's not really a new way of living. Because if you go back to Genesis, chapter 1, starting in verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image. Side note, in every temple in, in the pagan world, they had an image. And God, in his Ten Commandments, said, you shall make no graven images. Do you know why? Do you know why we aren't to make images of God? Because he already did it. And we're it. Let us make man in our image. And he places us in the temple of this world for him. Let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness. And let them, let them, listen to this, rule. What does that sound like? That sound like a king? That sound like a kingdom? That's kingdom language. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, here's your task. Here's your task. Be fruitful. Be fruitful. Multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, and every tree, uh, sorry, my eyes went wonky on me, tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be good for you, and every beast of the earth, and every birds of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day." This very, this culmination that ends up with God pronouncing very good over creation was He places man in a position of dominion. And He says, I want you to go out and I want you to take care of it. I want you to, I want you to be fruitful. And this isn't just talking about having kids. This is talking about in way of life multiply and fill the earth fill the earth with with all the great things that you come up with in in reigning in my stead as my image you go from this garden and you go out into the world and as you go you take me with you and you fill up all the earth with me and that's exactly what Jesus came so we could do is that we could be fruitful and multiply and fill up the earth with God in His kingdom, in this new kingdom. We're here to rule for God. God intended it that way. Be fruitful. I got ahead of myself. See, I started preaching before before I started clicking the slide. Maybe I should have let you do that for me. Multiply, fill the earth... Subdue it for God. And then, 
God made a garden. God made his garden, the Garden of Eden. A garden that man was, was welcome in, in his, in, his, uh, in his presence. But he gave him a choice and he said, here's a tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can either trust me to know what's good and bad, or you could take that knowledge on yourself. You could either let me be God and call the shots, or you could take calling the shots for yourself. It's still the same choice, right? It's the same choice Robert was talking about last night whenever Robert, whenever he said, whenever he said, it's either my will be done or your will be done and whatever answer we give, God accepts it and goes with it. And that's the deciding factor of where you're out at in the end. Where you're thrown into, whether you're with the good fish or whether you're with the bad fish. So tell me, church, is Jesus the king or are you the king? That's the question. That's the question Matthew leads through all of these parables. Here's this great, here is this great idea of the kingdom of heaven and its coming. And it's going to be a place of blessing and it's going to be a place of forgiveness and growth and safety and shelter and and love, and unity, and all of the great things that God provides for us. But are you going to accept it? That's the choice that's on you. That's the choice that's on me. Are we going to let him be king and change us to be what he wants us to be? What God initially wanted all mankind to be. His image in the world. I pray God blesses you in your walk of faith towards Him. Thank you.